In this episode of Not Another Book Club, we all tell our stories about how we became published. Kerry's is absolutely insane. Thank you for listening. Let's talk about our road to publishing. So I shall start with how I started off, which was just basically one day in the car in France. Think I'd just literally finished a book that was absolutely rubbish. And I turned to my husband and I said, do you know what? I I can do better than this. I'm going to write a book. And I did. However, I'm a very impatient person and couldn't be bothered with all the... um, sending off to publishers and agents so I decided to self-publish which I did for four years until I was signed by Bloodhound so that's my little story. How old were you when you first started writing? I don't bloody know. 92 I think. <laughs> well I was 92 or in 92. <laughs> no it was in 2013. I started writing in 2013 and it took me a whole year to write my first book because it just went on and on and on and on but it was like a massive big learning curve um yeah so it took me a, a year to sort of like write the first one and then um, my son like was is like the, the the clever one of the family so he uploaded it all and worked out how to do the cover and the spine and all that malarkey and it was actually I think on January the first or yeah January the first we uploaded the first my first book to um to Amazon and I can still remember us in the kitchen and we had our finger on you know the button that says on KDP which says publish and we like did that countdown like five four three and I can still remember just both because now we've got to do it together we both pushed the button together I was so excited and when I went to Sainsbury's the next day I actually felt like I was like this really different person like oh I've just just written a book and I've just published it I honestly felt so different but yeah it was in like 2014 the first book went went out there so that's my little story what, did you used to write before before that when you were younger no no nothing oh I was the family letter writer our friends if someone someone was like going to court and they needed a letter for the judge to get them off a charge how often were there people going to court <laughs> well no sometimes sometimes like you know when you're up in court for something your solicitor can read out a letter saying what a good good egg you are oh, um right. and i just get like things like that to do and well i won't go into Is details that because you live that. in manchester and they're all mm. criminals yes. <laughs> we all live on the shameless estate so basically, the, the right your writing practice before that was witness statements witness statements um school no, letters to get the they're called aren't they character yeah character statements. character statements and but like you know let's say people oh divorces i was like the divorce divorce letter writer because like Loads of Brian's friends were getting divorced and things. So I was writing all these like big letters to their solicitors and this, that and the other. And people had come round like with all these piles of paper. Can you help me with this? So I was like the person who'd like just write letters for people. Um, oh, like getting Owen off PE and things like that. That was just like the norm, you know, like really sad letters like why Owen can't do PE. <laughs> so what was your, which one was your first book? It was called, it was the, you know, in the Destiny series, it's the one yeah. that's called Anna. Now, it was that one. Yeah, so, um, and I just, I just had this idea, this, this first scene, and I, and I wrote it from that book. Yeah, that was my first, that was my first book. And it's very, very dear to my heart. 
I think it's really interesting, actually. I didn't realise that you'd never, ever written before that. I knew that you'd kind of been reading books and thinking, I could do this better, and so yeah, I'm going to yeah, do it. Yeah, no. Um, never, ever written. I loved English at school. That was one of my favourite lessons. Um, but apart from that, no, n- never written anything at all. And it literally was as simple as you were reading books and thinking, I reckon I could do this better. Yeah, yeah. You know, do you know when you get to the end of a book and you, yeah. and you think... Oh, that was a waste of time. You know, you've invested like yeah. hours and hours and hours of your life and then you get to the end, it was like a stupid ending or something like that. And I remember I used to say to Brian all the time, that was just that was just stupid or I can do better than this. Yeah. And it was just that day, we literally were driving down the road and I can actually see the road we're driving down and I, this idea, this story came to me. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm a terrible person for sort of like, sort of not following things through, like starting a quilt and not finishing it starting knitting not finishing it and I thought if I'm going to do it I'm going to actually do this and I'm going to see it through to the end and it, and it, it was actually you know the first thing I've actually can say that I actually started and finished yeah that, that just surprises me because you often find kind of as writers kind of hone their craft and the, the longer they've been doing it the better they become and you've obviously only been writing for a relatively short period of time. Though I have noticed, um, because obviously I read for you, that your last few books, the quality is just improving immensely. So I suppose you're kind of almost going on your writing journey, but you started at quite a high level in the first place. Mm. I, th- I think that, I think, as, yeah, it's true. It, uh, even I, even now, I'd, I can feel... Because I do, I think you learn from the edits. You learn, you learn when you get your edits back. Yeah. I absolutely love edits when they come back. You know, like the structural ones, the copy edits, and everything. Because you learn so much. You learn every now and again. You learn like a little tip, things like that. So you are learn, learn as you're going along. Obviously, I learn from reading your books because I read for you, Kerry. But um, I just, I just think that it's like it's you just evolve as you're going along. I would, I would love to go back and read, say Rosie and Ruby just again but I don't want to because I know that I 100% know I would probably change 50% of that book and I probably would cringe as well thinking oh but it, like I say it was where I started and I'm, I'm really proud of those books and you know I'm just like moving on so um yeah but I, I do think that like at the beginning of the journey if, if all authors went back in and had a look at the first thing they probably would cringe slightly oh, I think, would oh. I definitely would I mean I wrote my first book when I was about 20 years old and yeah I just that will never ever be read by anybody <laughs> um but I mean even as even M for Murder um which Bloodhound republished I really struggled to get motivated to kind of promote that because I know a lot of people like it but when I was doing the edits for it I wrote that book when I was 25 years old it was about the fourth book I think I'd written and but I look back on it and when I was reading through it and I was trying to make little tweaks here and there to improve it. But I was, oh my God, I can so tell I was 25 when I wrote that book. It's a, it's a different level and it? it's a different level. And again, though, we've got to understand that, yeah, yeah, you, you do mature and uh, you do mature as, as, you, as, you, as, you're going, as you're going through life. So things that you were writing about and the way you were writing about them when you were 25 are different how you write about things now. But it's like with Nathan with his ghostwriting. I, I always find it really interesting to see how he approaches ghostwriting and his own work. Just is a sort of like a line in between where he he 
he writes completely differently as a different person for for two, for for both. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have to write within certain parameters for ghostwriting and, and within a certain style. So, ghostwriting, I basically just write whatever they want me to produce, and I don't. Um, obviously, I have to use some individual creativity, but it's not like my own work where it's one hundred percent just how I want to express it. Like my current contract is romance, so I have to write in a very like flowery, stupid, <laughs> silly style sometimes. So how did you start though? Because I obviously I know how how you, how you sort of got into writing. So you tell people how you got into writing. It's very interesting. I start well. I, I was writing when I was a teenager. I'm 28 now, and I was writing when I was a teenager, just little stories in English class. I remember I had this really awesome English teacher, and she would let me just sit in her class and write stories and poems instead of doing my work. So I was doing that when I was like like a teenager, and then when I was 18, I um I came home from uni for the summer and I still had to pay my rent in in my uni accommodation I didn't have any but I didn't have any money so I, instead of getting a real job I just googled like writing jobs and they came up with these like romance ghostwriting jobs and I was I was like oh I can just uh, try that how hard can that be and I just got them somehow and I just yeah I just started writing them for like ridiculously low pay but that's how I first started getting paid for writing it's just doing that over the summer and then I yeah I just, I just did that for for years then and all during that time, I was writing my own books, um, but I'd always abandon them. I'd always, I'd always start a book, get like forty thousand words in. I wouldn't plan it or anything, and then I would just abandon it because it would be going nowhere. And I just did that like thirty times, maybe. Like, there's so many terrible, terrible books that I started <laughs> and didn't finish. Like, so many bad books. And I remember I used to try and um, write short fantasy and science fiction short stories and get them accepted to these fantasy and science fiction short story websites that they paid you for and I could never get one in no matter how many I worked on even even though you started all these novels and only got about 40,000 words in um it's still all good practice and the fact that you were doing all that writing even though you don't have anything to show at the end for it in terms of a manuscript you still it's still experience that you've kind of almost got under your collar so it's almost I suppose like if you were in a writing class or something and you were just writing stories just for your class or whatever but you're teaching yourself yeah um, well, you can even even if you learn like what not to do it's helpful yeah absolutely. Oh, exactly yeah that is it's little again back to the edits that's another thing in it when what not to do is when you you, you you get a note from the editor and you, you think, oh, yeah, I do do that all the time. And you just learn just that one little thing means that the next time you start a manuscript, you're not going to make that same mistake again. Well, yeah, you learn things like your crutch phrases, the phrases you constantly repeat when you don't know how else to describe something. Like, I have so many of those that I have to look out for. Yeah. And there's those, little, there's, those, of there's those of little technical things you notice when you're writing a ridiculous number of words mine was in fact i kept i used to write in fact it was a fact and th I th yeah i remember being told off for that i can't think of any more at the moment though i used to write in the most i used to um love f scott fitzgerald who wrote the great gatsby mm. and i used to want to be like him and i remember i wrote this story when i was like 18 and it was about this guy cooking some bacon and sausages but instead of just saying, oh, uh, he cooked the bacon and sausages, it was like, he emancipated the sausage from their metal frying prison. <laughs> and, and, and the oil was spitting everywhere. And then he, tried, and I was like going super, super um, 
like flowery with the uh, this, this description of this guy cooking bacon and sausage. It was so dumb. Yeah, sometimes keeping it simple is better. Yeah, most of the time, unless you have a reason. When I was a kid, I can remember even back to kind of like being about eight or nine, I used to just have these A4 jotter pads and I used to fill them up with stories that I was making up. And I was the kid who never wanted to really kind of go outside and play because I just wanted to sit there and make stories up. And can you remember you used to, um, in primary school, do assemblies and things? And well, I don't know how it is kind of for the youngsters these days like Nathan but Trish will remember you used to have assemblies and sometimes... we had assemblies all right okay you used to sometimes be able to make up plays and things to present didn't you um yeah. I was always the one who'd be like oh I'll write the play I'll write the play and so I'd always write the kind of scripts for the other kids to perform to um so I was always doing that it was something I always wanted to do I love telling stories I wouldn't say that I was brilliant English and no good but that's a that's a a really really good point that you just made at the end of the day you've just got to be a really really good storyteller haven't you and that's why anyone who's listening who hasn't been sort of like classically trained or might think that they they haven't got sort of like the the minerals for that are needed to to get out into the publishing world well if you if you think that you can tell a really really good story from the beginning to the end, that is going to grip people, and they're going to—they just—you're just going to be able to hold them, hold them for a certain a few hours within your book. That's all you need. That's all you need because the rest of it is is the help that you get from an editor and a proofreader. I mean, for example, the one big mistake I made, but it was just one of those things at the time, is when I self-published, I couldn't afford to have my books edited. Just couldn't afford it. There's no way that I could have pay £700 to pay someone. So I relied on like friends to do it for me. Yeah, it was a big mistake because you used to get absolutely slated in reviews for it. And then it was just when I'd written um, over my shoulder, I spoke to a real, someone who I, I really, Nick Alexander, and he'd been sort of like sort of mentoring me for, for years and just like just giving me really good advice is probably a better, better way to describe it. And he said to me, Trish, please, please, please get this book edited. You really need to to make that step. And I don't know if you'll mind me saying, but he actually offered to pay for it to be edited for me. And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. You can pay me back whenever. And it was a lovely, lovely thing for him to say. And I just said, no, thanks a lot. But, you know, I'll, I'll work out. So I got a loan from the bank. I just took the leap and got a loan from the bank. Um to have it edited properly and to pay for the a professional cover um, to be done. And it was the best thing I ever did um, because that book was the one that someone at Bloodhound read. And when they went on an author hunt, they told the commissioning editor about that book and I got signed. So maybe had I not actually taken that sort of like bit scary leap and gone to the bank and got a loan and had it, you know, it done properly, I might not be where I am today, like 15 bucks down the line. Yeah. That's so crazy. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. £1,000 loan, loan it was. You took out a loan to get the edit yeah. done. Yeah. A thousand, it was a £1,000 flexi loan and I just paid it back every single month. However, um, when that book was published, it paid me back within, I think it was the yeah, yeah, the first year it paid me back, you know, for the loan. 
but it paid me back in so many other ways. But up until then, he had, what was it? He had five books that I hadn't had professionally edited. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to go back and tell you a bit about my journey um, to getting published. And then I don't think we actually found out how Nathan did get published, um, apart from ghostwriting. So we'll go to him in a sec. Um, as I say, I, I loved writing from a young age. And when I got into my teens, I didn't I didn't really know what I could do with it as a career because I, being a novelist didn't seem like a realistic career path. Certainly not to my parents who thought that I should go and get a sensible job. Um, it's one of those things like saying, oh, I want to be a pop star or I want to be an actor or something. Um, people don't take you seriously, do they? So I never even considered a career as a novelist. I just thought it would be something that I would do as a hobby and maybe, um, as Nathan said, he tried to kind of get some stories submitted and never got anywhere. And I was pretty much the same. I, I was writing short stories and submitting them to women's magazines when I was probably 16, 17, 18, and they were just all getting turned down, never getting anything back. Um, and then I decided when I was about 20 that, do you know what, actually, I want to try writing a book. Um, and I did. Uh, same as Trish. I thought, no, I need to actually commit to this and do it. Um, and it was crap. <laughs> but still, um, at the time, I finished it and I I got a copy of, have you guys heard of the Writers and Artists Yearbook? Um, they bring out an edition every year. And obviously back at this point, this was way before the internet, um, which I'm sure Nathan can't even imagine being without the internet. But yeah, it was before <laughs> before that when literally you were sending things off by post you were printing out your manuscript and sending it off by post places and I got a copy of this artisan yearbook and I was looking up all of the publishers and I sent samples of my manuscript off to I don't know a dozen of them um most of them I just didn't either hear back from or I got things back just with a comp slip saying no thanks um there was one that came back from headline publishing saying that while they were going to pass they thought that I had a lot of potential and that I should keep going and that really inspired me to keep going I had this little card and the fact that they'd actually taken the trouble to write out something personal on it I kind of put it above my computer and I was like right okay they, they say that I should keep trying um a couple of the ones that had come back also were saying no we don't take any kind of submissions with our agents because obviously this was proper proper traditional publishing at the time um so then I just started trying to get an agent and then I don't Nathan certainly doesn't know about this I don't know if Trish knows about it and it's something I was uncomfortable talking about for a long long time um but it's part of my past it's part of my history so we'll put it out there for anybody who doesn't know when I was 25 my dad was an entertainment agent and he worked he had a friend who was a sports illustrator and he used to do sports illustrations for a non-fiction publisher and they wanted to branch into fiction and I'm not going to say the name of the publisher because there's probably still loads of libelous things out there um, about this he my dad happened to mention that I was trying to get into publishing 
and he said oh let me read your daughter's book anyway my dad sent it to him I don't think he ever read it but his girlfriend at the time um had seen it laying around picked it up and read it and was like oh my god it's, it's actually really good um he then took an interest took it to his then publisher who were oh actually this yeah we we want to sign it we think this is really really good um and it kind of blew up a little bit I had to go and have meetings with this publisher it was all very grand we all sat around this big table they brought out platters of sandwiches and stuff I was 25 years old I remember going down there with my dad um I was really kind of nervous and quite naive about the whole thing and they offered me a contract they said they wanted to publish my book I can't remember if they took they offered me a three book deal or whatever um but I was going to be their first fiction author and then I was at my day job one day and I got a phone call from the publisher saying that my local paper was on their way up to interview me about kind of the book deal and everything so they said so just kind of go along with everything and everything's fine and blah 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 so the paper show up but they weren't interested in talking to me about my book all they were interested in talking to me about was some huge great advance I was getting for the book now I wasn't aware I was getting an advance and I was literally put on the spot with this local newspaper who were asking me all these questions about it as if they knew all these details and I'm thinking but I don't but I'm thinking I'm 25 years old I haven't really read through the contract so I didn't really know how to answer their questions but then at the same time I also didn't want to make my publisher look foolish because maybe this was something I'd overlooked and maybe I was getting all this money um so I tried to kind of bluster my way through the interview I can remember that night I went to the theatre with my mum and sister um my dad had just sort of said that he was going to speak to the publisher and find out what was going on and everything and when I got back apparently all of the national press had been phoning my house trying to get interviews with me because apparently this amount of money I was going to get paid was this huge amount that no first-time author had ever had before and I'm thinking really I'm going to get all this money so I was kind of all excited and I was woken up by my dad at about 6 30 the following morning because there was a photographer's camped outside my house um I can remember having to sit in some field while they snapped photos of me which they then sold to all the national papers and then I think the day the the phone was just ringing like crazy and to be perfectly honest I was getting to the point where I was quite shy and it was all suddenly very overwhelming having all of this attention and all of these press people there and I had local news crews there and everything and the next day I came downstairs and my dad was loving this because he was a proper publicity whore. And the next day I came downstairs and I was in every national newspaper in the country. I was on the front oh, page of some no of them. Um, still got all the articles. And for what? years I couldn't oh, even... You'll have to put them on the years, oh, you'll have to show even, them all. Yeah, Kerry, you need to upload these. You what, sorry? No, I can't. You need to upload the articles. There's, if you look right back, fortunately some of them have been really buried down now on um, Google. But there were a couple that did actually make it online. Um, I think the independent um, might have been one and um, because I went I had to go down to London um, I had to do TV shows um, I went on one where I was interviewed by Jonathan Ross's brother 
um i think paul was it paul, paul ross? he ross. used to have a daytime tv show uh it was awful it was embarrassing i had people running up to me in the streets asking for my bloody autograph when i got out of the car so it's all it's all kind of like going absolutely crazy and i think i don't i don't they told me so anyway we i went to my publisher and i'm like because i actually got sent home i went to my day job and everyone was phoning all of the journalists were phoning my office at work and my boss was so pissed off because people were supposed to be phoning in and booking holidays and they were all phoning in about me that he sent me home in a huff <laughs> and i i was kind of like oh my god what am i going to do what am i going to do because i think the most frustrating thing for me was nobody was actually interested in my book all they were interested in was this advance that i was supposed to be getting so anyway, so I'd spoken to my publisher and they're kind of like, don't worry, it's all in hand. It's all in hand. So there's part of me thinking, yeah, this is great. I'm going to get all this money. But then there's also part of me. I don't know. You know, you know, when you kind of feel things are almost too good to be true. And anyway, they told me to quit my job um, because they were going to start kind of paying me weekly, um, which I did. And. So I handed my notice in, I left. Uh, I think a bit of money came through, not very much. Um, and then, I can't remember which paper it was. It might've been, the. I think it was the Independent. Right from the start, I think he smelt a bit of a rat with the whole thing. There was journalists there and he, initially he came after me because I think he thought that I was trying to kind of fool everybody. And I got vilified in the press a little bit but then a little bit, and when that happened, the publisher then started to try and distance themselves from the whole situation. Uh, they actually dissolved their fiction side of their company so they didn't have to pay me anything, even though I'd signed contracts. And it ended up getting quite messy. Uh, solicitors were involved. I ended up pretty much penniless. Um, I had to go and beg my boss for my job back, who took great delight in saying to me, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't have kind of been so rash, assuming that everything was going to kind of fall in your lap and you were going to be rich. Um, and fortunately, the guy at The Independent, he ended up actually being a bit of a champion for me in the end, because I think he realised that I've just been completely um, duped by the publisher and that I was as much a victim in it as anybody else so what were they trying to do why were they well why were they i think what you? they probably were trying to do was generate publicity for this book deal and to be perfectly honest my book well i mean people people have read my books one of the books was m for murder right now i think i think my books are reasonably good but they're not they're not worth huge great advances i'm not that stupid um I, um, I'm, I'm no better than other authors out there. My, um, I think I'm a fairly decent writer, but I'm, I'm not Stephen King. I'm not J.K. Rowling. And my books aren't worth that kind of advance. And what after all of that publicity, people are going to be really scrutinising your work. And who the hell would want to release a book? It's all supposed to be about the book. It's not supposed to be about me. And... Anyway, so I kind of groveled. I got my job back. Um, everything went very quiet. Um, as I say, the guy from The Independent went after the publisher. 
um, he was really lovely. He came up and took me out for a drink and actually gave me a bottle of champagne and just said, kind of, I'm really sorry that all this happened to you and everything in the end, which was lovely. Um, and then I got contacted. I'm not going to name names of publishers and agents, but I got contacted by a really, really big literary agency on the back of this. So um, if anything good was going to come from it, they waited until things had kind of calmed down a bit. And then they did contact me and they said, now things have kind of calmed down. Would like to actually just have a look at the book if you're interested. Um, so I sent them M for Murder. And at the time, I went. I had to keep going down to London for all these meetings. And I can remember sitting in their boardroom and they'd read through M for Murder and they don't, they don't mince their words. Uh, they were like, okay, so about 60% of it's brilliant. 40% of it is completely shit, but you can write. And what we want to do is we want to kind of work with you to try and improve the rest of the book, which I thought was great. Okay. Um, because at last I had people who were actually interested in the book and not me and some deal. So I went away. Um, I rewrote M for Murder. I followed their guidelines because they told me what they wanted me to kind of do with it. And then I had about two weeks to do this and it was getting towards the end of the two weeks. And I can remember having a conversation with my sister one night and she was, oh, do you know what you should have done with that book? You should have done this. That would have been such an absolutely huge twist at the end. Um, anyway, and I thought, I kept thinking about it and I was like, yeah, but that's not the brief they've given me. I kept thinking about it and I was like oh my god that is such a good twist I mean you've read the book Trish um you know what the twist is at the end of that book and um I thought shall I just chance it and do it <laughs> so anyway I did I worked through the night literally for about three days um I sent posted this book back to them uh I got a letter because it was everything was done by letters back then um asking me to come back down to London. They'd read the book, they wanted a meeting. So I went down there. And I remember sitting in the office of the managing director of this um, big literary agency. And this is actually one of, even though things didn't work out, this is still one of the highs of my career. I was about 26 years, 26, nearly 27 years old at the time. And I thought he was gonna absolutely kill me because He's like, you changed the book. You didn't write what we told you to. And he threw the script down on the desk. <laughs> and then he went, I didn't get the end. I always get the end. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I just left there on cloud nine. They signed to me there and then. I kind of signed with this big literary agency. They, we then had, I had to keep going back down to London because we were having talks with one of the big five. But this is how difficult it was to actually get in with one of the big five at the time. Obviously, there wasn't Amazon. Uh, there wasn't self-publishing. There weren't different routes and all the different publishers that have kind of come up digitally and stuff. So they take on about 2% of new authors a year. The rest are just all really established names. And I had all these meetings with this huge publisher and my agent kept saying, yeah, yeah, they're going to go for it. They're going to go for it. It's one of the best books kind of out this year. 
And at the end of it, they still turned me down. They almost went for oh it, but they're God. like, no, we've literally, we've got 2% we can use. There's a couple of other authors who we think are better. How close, how insanely close yeah, can you get? Close. And not, oh so my God. I kind of, to be perfectly honest, after that, I was so disillusioned. I'd sent my stuff off to so many publishers. I'd had two really close breaks. And I was just completely convinced that it wasn't going to happen for me. And I gave up. And that's the worst thing. And that's why when people, when I get asked in interviews, what is the one thing that you would always, piece of advice that you would give to new writers, it's perseverance. Because it's such a tough industry. Even now, it's still a tough industry to crack into. To actually get a deal with the publisher, you have to be next level good. I can't believe you had all those meetings. I know. That's all awful. All that contact. Nathan, I have so like destroying. a stack of letters, yeah. rejection slips, letters with agents <laughs> and publishers that are oh thick enough God. to be a really big novel. Um, I've That's, kept hold of it all. That, I, didn't, I didn't know articles. any of that about you. I know. Yeah, Kerry's told, told me told me before, but um, you've not told me. So, we, we've told me on sort of like messages and things, sort of like the bones of it, but actually hearing it, like you were there it's I just it's awful like to to know that it won't be just you as well you know this this story will have happened to so so many oh, people Trish, listen to it li- listen to this paragraph this is from 1997 two months ago Kerry Beavis was hailed as one of the literary phenomena of recent times with according to her publishers a record first book deal worth 750,000 waiting to be signed Today, the independent can reveal she is preparing for a different kind of signing, signing on for the doll. <laughs> God, it's so cringy, isn't it? That's in the, that's in the independent. I know. Yeah, it's the guy oh at the independent God. who ended up, who ended up, um, at least really they, lovely. they got, yeah, at least they sort of like told, told the true story, which is good. However, there is another good side to this What's story, that? this very sad story. Do you want me to tell you what it is? I've thought of a plan. Before your next book's out, Nathan, and actually we've got to wait for a while for yours because yours has just come out. So for mine and Kerry's next book, Nathan, we want you to put like press releases out saying that <laughs> I'm getting a million pound deal. <laughs> <laughs> a million pound advance. It's never been heard of before. And then everyone will be like talking about me and I, I won't like look northwest outside my house I want Grenada Report outside my house. And then we'll just do it for Kerry two weeks later because no, everyone I will never, believe you know it. I never, everyone ever. will believe it. The most, the most important thing for me, and I've always maintained this and I still stand by this, is it's all about the books and the stories. I know you were, I know you were just jesting there, Trish, but I, I mean, I'm not going to go through the story again because people, I've told this story till I'm blue in the face, but I obviously won a competition several years later um, after a friend bullied me into entering it and I won a publishing contract. It was just with a small press. As I say, they, they're somebody who, uh, they're hybrids, so they do actually charge people um, to publish their books. But in my case, I obviously won a contract and my first book with them sold quite well. And consequently, they agreed to publish my next two. Uh, They've been since been taken on by Bloodhound, so um, and repackaged as M for Murder, D for Dead, and Deep Dark Secrets. Um, then, after after I'd had the three books, 
they were absolutely lovely because I went to them with Dying to Tell and they actually said it was too good a book for them and that I should start going to bigger publishers. And they were lovely because they said, if you come back to us and you don't have any luck, we'll still publish it for you. But we really think you should now go and try and get with somebody bigger. There are decent people out there. They're very, very nice people, um, Lucy and Joe, who gave me my big break. And But all the way through this, obviously, I then approached Bloodhound and I got very lucky because they liked my book and I got signed. But all the way through this journey and certainly in the latter part of it, what was just lovely was the focus was all on my books. It wasn't on me. And I just I love that. Gary, there's no one who can top that publishing journey. There is no one on this planet who can top that publishing journey. That is insane. But it just, like I say, I think that that's sort of like the, the point of this. And it's like, there were so many books, like, we've got self-published, Kevy's amazing story, little ghostwriter man in the top corner there, <laughs> um, with these 50,000. But I want to go back to Nathan's story and big up that teacher who let you sit in the class. Oh, it was awesome. And so write good. your poems and write, because that's what I call a proper teacher. Yeah. Because... She saw little Nathan, she saw something in Nathan and thought, do you know what, let that kid just do what he wants to do. Well, she would even she would even let me write, give her stories in the class and then she would bring them to me like the next day in, in tu- tutorial with notes on them. Really? See, I loved, I yeah. freaking love teachers yeah. like that. It was amazing. Yeah, it was so I agree. Good. It was so useful. Yeah, teachers yeah. Who really I love teachers talent. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think it's brilliant. That's, see, that's a lovely story as well, isn't it? So we've had yeah. Like... There's lots. There's lots of nice things. It's just um, Carrie's story has just like completely blown my mind. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a film. It's like a film, isn't it? It is. I would. I would have honestly assumed you two were lot. Like, you two were do- tricking me if it wasn't for all these n- newspaper articles. Yeah. No. God, I, I, I think they sort of you really untrustworthy. I've got them all, all in a folder <laughs> and. I couldn't look at them for about 10 years because it used to make me feel physically sick remembering yeah, what happened. Imagine, yeah. And I don't yeah. I don't know if it was it was part of the accusations that I was part of this kind of attempt to dupe the public. It was the fact that I'd been gullible enough to fall for it because I was kind of like, oh my God, I was 25 years old. I should have known better. I was just so naive and so stupid to get caught up in it. And yes, it was, I was so embarrassed by the whole thing. But well, the number one the, the the number one thing that comes out of all our stories is just keep writing. Like like I said, I wrote, I had twenty to thirty unfinished projects. You had all those tribulations with thinking you were going to get signed by the big five, and then not, and then being disillusioned. Obviously, Trish had to get a loan <laughs> to pay for an editor. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's just how it's just. And then at any point, any of us could have easily stopped. Like I stopped writing for low, big, huge periods. I would just not write my own work. I would just do my ghostwriting and just ignore my own work for huge periods of time. Yeah, because I'd be like, oh, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to make it. I can't. And it, do you know what? With me, it was like it was very rarely. Oh, I'm never going to get published. It was more like, oh, I'm never going to be able to write a good book. I was going like, to say, always... go go back to that because we haven't actually really discussed. We talked about how you started doing ghostwriting when you were 18 years old, and you did that for years, but that was more to pay a wage. And I, I'm sure it gave you good experience of kind of publishing and stuff. But how you had all these unfinished manuscripts. So what happened? You obviously finished one, which I'm assuming was all my fault. 
All your fault. All your fault. <laughs> All our fault. Is that, you... Yeah, we want to know from when you came into our lives, Nathan. We want to know how you came into our lives. Well, basically I got to a point where I was, I said to myself, if I do this, I'm ne- if I keep doing this, I'm never going to finish a book. Because as soon as I'm done with it, as soon as I'm done with the first draft, I would say to Crystal, she was like, oh, are you going to... Sometimes I would write books and not even submit them. And she'd be like, oh, are you going to submit that? And I'd be like, no, it's terrible. And she'd be like, what do you mean? I'd be like, no, it's a terrible book. I'm not even going to edit it. It's really bad. And I just would, I would just put it in a file and I would just ignore it. And I would just never go back to it. So the, this, all your fault, I was like, okay, no matter how I feel about it, I'm going to edit it. I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to try and polish it up no matter how I feel. I, I'm not going to allow, allow my feelings to dictate whether or not I work on this book. So yeah, I finished it. I hated it. Um, like I always did, but I just forced myself to edit. I forced myself to go back to it and work on it. And yeah, that was the one that got uh, got taken by Bloodhound. So how did you feel when you got the letter, when you got the email saying that? Do you know what? Do you know what the honest feeling, the honest, the honest thing is? I felt um, bad because I knew people were going to read it. <laughs> and I still, I still, every time I finish a book, even now, I still, my first instinct is like, oh, it's not good enough. Like even, even, yeah, like my first instinct, no matter what I write in terms of my own work. And then I, and then I, lately, lately I'm starting to get, um, with Her Final Victim, um, that's the first book I think I've ever wrote that I'm really, really, really proud of. All my fault, or no, all your fault. <laughs> Sorry, I don't do that intentionally. It was a good book. It was a good book. I mean, I've always been quite harsh with you on that one, but it still was in terms of kind of, the books, in terms of the books that I read, and I read probably about 30, 30, 40 books a year, it would still be in the top 20 of those books. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is it's still really very good. good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very good, well-told story. I found it, as I've said to you before, obviously it took a little while to get going, but you acknowledged that yourself. And it took a long time to get so, going. But her final <laughs> victim, that's in a different league, mate. Well, that was very kind of Kerry to say, and uh, her final victim is currently available for sale on Amazon, Kobo, Apple Books, etc. Trish has a new book available for pre-order, a Christmas story called Coming Home, and Kerry has a sinister, slow-burn psychological thriller called The People Next Door, which is also available for pre-order. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. (laughs) 